Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, the, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over, who is over all, and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect of the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself, and builds itself up in love, as does each part, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. I want to welcome you to Upper Room. My name is VJ. Privilege of uh, being one of the pastors on staff here. I want to welcome our congregation in Bolton that we've uh, started doing services with as of a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, this week and next week, or for you guys, last week and this week, uh, you'll be tracking with us on video. And then for those of you that don't know, come the beginning of October, we are going to be joined by Dave Lombardo and his family as they join the Upper Room family. And Dave joined staff uh, with us. And Dave and I will be team teaching in both locations and working together, and Dave will be the site pastor in Bolton. So we're really excited to welcome them, and they'll be here next week. You'll get a chance to meet them, uh, uh, Dave and Sandra, and their two, their two boys. Uh, I read, uh, I just love seeing our new junior, how many of our new junior highs are here today? All you in front row. The youth all sit in the front row. This is intimidating, you have to know, right, as a communicator, because it's like basically when I'm pre- preparing my sermon, I'm, when I'm praying, I'm thinking about you guys. Uh, so if you, if you didn't like it, you just talk to me after and say, hey, could you do this, a little less of this, a little more of this, that's good, different shirt, whatever it is. Because, uh, hey, we really are so thankful that you're a part of this uh, worship life and just trusting that you'll uh, even sense God's presence and feel like, yeah, this is, this is home for me. I read something this week that um, I laughed and then made me almost cry because of how sad and true it is. I want to uh, burden you with it as well. Um, this is John Orberg uh, in his book, The Life You Always Wanted. We will buy anything that promises to help us hurry. The best-selling shampoo in America rose to the top because it combines shampoo and conditioner in one step, eliminating the need for all that all-time-consuming rinsing people used to have to do. We worship at the shrine of the Golden Arches. That's McDonald's, for those of you that don't know. Not because they sell good food, or even cheap food, because it's fast food. Even after fast food was introduced, people still had to park their cars, go inside, order, and take food to their table, all of which took time. So we invented the drive-thru to enable families to eat in their vans as nature intended. (laughs) Right? Sad but true. It's interesting, if you read economists who wrote uh, um, John Maynard Keynes in the early 1900s, as he envisioned, really 100 years later, whatever, or what our life would be like, They believe that, look, with all of the technological advancements that will be made in the next century, people will have way more time on their hands. 
they'll be actually way more relaxed and have a lot more leisure because technology is going to make everything easier to do. And in one sense, they were totally right and totally wrong. They were right. In a sense, technology has made so many things easier to do, and yet all that has made us do is cram more into our days than we used to. And so what we find is a culture, we are saying, we feel like we have less time than ever before, that we are busier than ever. I don't know about you, but I feel that. I feel like I don't think I can fit another thing in my schedule. Our Google Calendar looks like the rainbow. Uh, like of stuff. And everyone that I talk to, it seems like, is sort of going here, going there, and there's a sense of busyness and going, the exact opposite has happened. It doesn't actually feel like we have more time. It feels like we have less time. It feels like we're a culture that is sick from hurry. And it makes us wonder then, as you come into church, and, uh, about what I'm about to talk to you about, <laughs> which is the fact that we have been called together to actually serve together, that I'm on very dangerous, uh, I'm on thin ice this morning, that if I begin to talk about what does it mean for us to serve together as the church, that you're going, I can't do anything else. Like, are you going to ask me to do stuff? Because I can't do anything else. I am totally full. I am totally busy. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, like, even when it's a when it's a, a phone call, like even I don't even know what the number is, it's some 180, if they're not trying to sell me something, it's like something, I'm just like, eh, someone comes to the door, I'm like, eh, it's like, I don't have any more time. Like I'm in the middle of doing something right now. I can't even talk to you about the duct cleaning you want to do for me. Um, it's this, it's feel, and we can have this feeling even as you're coming into church this morning, so I thought, I just want to preempt that before we get into the message this morning about what does it mean to actually serve as the church together. And there's two things I want to remind you of in this moment. And it's something that I heard from a, a podcast mentor of mine years ago that I say all the time here, that God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants good things for you, right? That God doesn't need, he's God, he doesn't need anything from us to maintain his existence. As I always say to people, God would exist if nobody believed in him. He doesn't need our belief or our worship to feel good about himself. God is not insecure or incomplete, needing someone to tell him he's beautiful to feel that way. He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants good things for us. And I also know this, we need God to speak to us about our time. Because, and maybe I'm the only one in here, I don't always make good decisions with it. And time, for me, actually feels even more precious than money. And what they say is to people who say who are in like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, is that your next dollar is the most important one. Whereas sometimes you can get careless with it and you figure, oh, I'll buy a $4 latte. What does that make a difference? It's not going to help me pay down my $200,000 debt. Say, so, no, actually, the next dollar is the most important one. And if we as a culture, in a sense, are time-starved or in a time debt, the next hour we spend is the most important one. And we actually need God to say, hey, I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created this world that you live in. I have something to say about your time about what it means and the way that you spend it. So before we go into this, we need to know, wait, I can trust God that he actually has good things for me. He doesn't need anything from me. And I actually need him periodically to speak into this whole issue of where I spend my time. We're actually taking this journey called Together through the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians is about what the church is. And you might say, well, what's the church? Well, you know, we're always, it's good actually that we're in a movie theater because we're reminded that the church is not a building. It's certainly not this building. 
this doesn't seem like a church, although for most of our kids, this is the only church they've ever known. We're actually always being, needing to be reminded of what the church is, because if you look at through history, the churches seem to have forgotten that. It becomes an institution, or it becomes a broker of power, or religion, or whatever it is. And that this book of Ephesians is actually saying, hey, what does it mean to be the church, and what does it mean as a people to come together? And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter actually to a group of churches who were young churches, maybe like ours, like 10, 11 years old, some who had just started to form as the church. They had just started to realize, wait, Jesus is who he said he was. And now my life has changed, and now what do I do? Well, I come together in this group of people. And so Paul and some of the other leaders would write these letters to them and say, hey, this is how you're meant to live. This is what the church is about. And he's writing them this letter in the book of Ephesians, and a couple of the verses that were read for you starts in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. He says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. This is one of those statements that you have to read like 17 times. You know, when you're reading Bible, you're like, what did I just read? Read it again, read it again, read it again. It's kind of this big sweeping statement about the fact that like there's one God and his son, Jesus Christ, who is God. There's one family. There's, when you were baptized, there's one baptism that you became a follower. And it says you became part of a body. There's one body that we as the church, you say, what is the church? It's a body. We're all parts of one body in Christ. It's a very kind of big picture sort of, um, you know, imagery sort of that says, oh, you're, you're kind of one. And you think, oh, okay, fine. I'm part of this body. I'm part of this kind of one group of people that have been called together and believe in one Lord, and I've come through it through one baptism. So what does that mean? He's talking big picture. And then he goes in verse 7, he says, but to each, and all of us should sit up and go, oh, he's talking to me, but to each, right? Big statement about one, you're all one together. And then all of a sudden, He's talking to each one of us. This is one of the things I love about Jesus, right? He, he talked to crowds, but he talked to individuals. And in the midst of talking to crowds, he would stop and talk to an individual and say, you, 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 you. It's this picture that God is not just addressing us, the church in totality, but saying, Paul's saying, wait, there's something that each of you need to know. He says this in verse 7. Each of you has been given grace by Christ. That's what the word apportion means. It says Christ has given you grace. This is the beginning point of this. What does it mean for the church? Saying, as a person, as a part of this church, Jesus Christ has given me grace. Now, what do we mean by the word grace? Well, just think about mercy, love, kindness, grace, this gift. In other words, Christ has given you the, a gift that is merciful and that is kind. And you might think, well, what is that? What is that gift that each one of us in the church has been given? Well, he goes on to tell us. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are different gifts that describe leadership in the church. So the first thing Paul says, actually, is that Christ has given the church gifts for leaders. That in a sense, the leaders of the church are meant to be seen as a gift to the church. Now, some of you may say, oh yeah, I've, no, I'm not sure that I believe that. You know, like, are my leaders in the church actually a gift to me? And that's what very first and foremost, Paul says to us as leaders, hey, you are a God's gift to the church. Sounds very arrogant, right? It's, it's the sense of saying God is blessing the church through his leaders. That's the first grace that you've been given, that each of us who's blessed to be on staff here, to be leaders here, is, are meant to be a gift to you. That when you come in contact with us, then you're part of a church that as the church is being led, Reuben was up here praying, he's part of our elders board, that there are leaders in this church that you are meant to experience as gifts to you. And I pray that that's true. I pray that you feel blessed, that you feel the love of God through the leadership that 
is, as a church, the high calling for us as leaders to say you're meant to be a gift of love to the church. He's talking about different gifts. But then he goes on and says this, what is the role of the leadership in the church? Yes, to love, but not to do everything. See, we, we come from, many of us come from this paradigm, and it's, it's, a, it's a several hundred years old, where pastors and leaders and clergy and priests and all that, they're the professionals, and they do the church thing, and the rest of us do what we do. And they're the professionals, so that's what they do in the church, and they kind of, that's, that's their job, and that's what they do. As my dad says to me years ago, VJ, being a pastor is not a job. It's, you want a job, do something else. It's a calling, it's a life, it's a different thing. But we've made this separation go, okay, well, let the leaders do what they do and we'll just do our life. And actually, no, it says, look at what it says. The pastors and teachers are given to the church, look at this, to equip his people for works of service. So the role that leaders in the church and gifts in the church have is to equip every person in the church so that what? The whole body of Christ may be built up. That the role of leadership in the church is actually for each one to be equipped, to feel strengthened, to be called into works of service. It's in a sense that each leader in the church is meant to call others in to say, hey, God has a life calling for you as well to serve him as a part of his church. That's part of your role. And it says, so that the body of Christ may be built up, look at this, until we all reach two things, three things actually, Unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity. See those words up there? Aren't those three things, man, the church has always struggled to have throughout history? Unity, keeping Jesus center, and being mature. Immaturity wrecks the church. Immaturity has been wrecking the church for years. Not keeping Jesus at the center has wrecked the church. Not being unified has wrecked the church. And so Paul says, actually, listen, when we as the church serve together and embrace our call to serve, we are unified, we keep Jesus at the center, right? And what's the last thing? We become mature. We grow together. We grow up together as we serve together. That's how the church is meant to function, that the leadership in the church not only leads and blesses and loves the church, but calls the church together to serve so that the church can grow and be strong and keep Jesus at the center. That's what the calling of the church is and leaders are. Because when we serve together, right, we are serving to make Jesus known. We are serving to see Jesus in our presence. The more we serve and love together, the more the church actually sees Jesus as each one does its part. That's where we're meant. Each of us has a calling. Whether you're, this is your first day in church, even if you're saying, I'm, not, I'm new, I'm not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, I haven't quite, I don't know yet, good. But you're getting to know what the church is actually supposed to be because unfortunately, if you're anything like me or the people I know who never want to come to church, they have an idea of what they think church is. And maybe they came by it honestly because of what they saw because they saw disunity and they didn't see Jesus at the center and they saw immaturity. Right, so here we're saying, okay, what does it actually mean to be the church together, to grow as we all serve together? Jesus becomes center, and we grow up, and we're unified. You're called to serve as a part. What it means to be together is for each one to find their place in the church, to experience the spiritual gifts 
The scriptures just list a few of the spiritual gifts here, but it's not just for certain people. Every one of us, it says, in Christ has been given a gift, and that gift is meant to call us in to serve. But here's the missing piece with this whole perspective, because maybe some of you came from church traditions where it was like, yeah, you were always serving or always spending your time in the church. Maybe you came from a tradition where you didn't do that. Church was just a place you went for an hour on Sunday, and that was it, and the professionals did what they did. It's like, oh, is this like a volunteer organization? It's sort of saying, okay, guys, like, you know, we all got to do our part because, you know, the church isn't going to really work unless we each do our part. Is that what this is? It's not. The word volunteer is a really, it's not a good word to actually describe what is being talked about here. But there's a missing piece. You might think that's what it is if this is what we read. Oh, each of us has been called to do our part and we're all supposed to sort of find our place to serve and do that. But he goes on at the end of this passage to give us the missing piece, that if we miss this, we miss everything. From Christ, he says, the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's all of us, grows and builds itself up in, say it, love. Love. In another letter, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church, he says, look, you can do all kinds of great things, but if you don't have L-O-V-E, you got nothing. It doesn't matter. When we are invited in to serve as the church, the core of this is not volunteerism or altruism or doing our part. It's love. Love is the reason. Now, we don't have good words in the English language for love. We just have one word. It's love. And we say we love our parents. We say we love our spouse. We say we love that girl we just met last week. We say we love hamburgers. The Greeks had four words for love. Actually, they had more, but four kind of main words. One of them is eros, which is sort of obviously we associate with sexual desire, sexual love, fulfillment. But eros is bigger than just sex. Eros is about sort of th things that we love for our sake, like self-pleasure, things that we get pleasure. We say, I love that. That's eros. It, it sort of describes, in a sense, a love that's like, oh, I need that, I need that, I love that, I love that. That's why we, we often associate it with lust, or we say, like, Eros is lust. It's like, I want that or I want that person for my enjoyment. So that's eros. Another word is storge. Storge love is actually the love that we find in families. This sort of parent for the child and child for the parent. There's a familial sort of connection, storge love. And then there's philia love, which is friendship. So there's a mutual kind of love. But then there's this other word called agape. And the Greek word agape, which is what is used in this passage in Ephesians in the original translation, the Greek language, it's talking about that the body of Christ will be built up in agape. What is agape love? Agape is love for another, for another, for their sake alone. And the writers who write about agape love centuries ago, even the Greek writers, the source of agape love, they said, was not actually human, it was God. They said, if the best way to describe God's love for us is agape. In a sense that God doesn't need to love us. So if God loves us, it's for our sake, not his. Get that? That, that God's love for you, this is so important. Maybe this is the only thing that some of you need to hear this morning. This whole thing about God doesn't need you to do stuff in order for him to love you. He loves you for your sake alone, right? Every other kind of love, we can't help it. Even in family love or in marriage or whatever, we, we can't help but loving the other person based on what they've done. 
right? Like our love grows for the other person if they're loving us. And if they're not loving us, our love kind of diminishes. Well, I think we just need to be honest. That's not agape love. We're trying to get there. We're trying to get to agape love. But we're not the source of it. We can't. Our instinct is to go, why did you treat me like that? Our instinct is to withdraw love when other people are mean or unkind or withdrawing love from us. So the source of agape love is God. God's love for us begins with the fact that he loves us because he loves us. Man, that's beautiful, right? That's why it has to come from him. Can't come from any human. No human can conjure up agape love. So it says the, bio, the scriptures tell us that God's love is this love that is for our sake alone, which is why we can say, you know what? He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants good things for us. Because he doesn't need to feel good about us if we're, if we're worshiping him properly. It's his love for us. That's agape love. But the scriptures say, okay, the church is actually meant to experience agape love, like love for each other. And when I talk to couples, I, I, one of the things I love doing is premarital counseling for couples as they're preparing to get married. And one of the things that I say to them, and I'll sometimes even say this to them in, their, in the charge we do on their wedding day, is that every marriage or every love relationship needs two things. It needs face-to-face time and it needs side-by-side time. That, and those of you that are married, you know this. You need, you need face-to-face time where you're sitting across and looking into each other's eyes, face-to-face time. But you need side-by-side time. You need time where you are doing things together. And I don't just mean like working on the house or whatever, but I tell couples, you need a purpose in your life that isn't just about each other. You need something bigger. You need to understand God has called you actually to a bigger purpose in this world. And if you get that, every couple that gets that has a thriving marriage. If you have a purpose that you are working on together. Well, this is true in the church. In agape love, we need face-to-face time, which is last week we talked about getting into circles, you know, home groups and alpha groups and stuff like that, getting into circles, not just rows. We need face-to-face time with each other to relate, to get to know each other. But we need side-by-side time. We need to grow in love by doing stuff together. And yes, hanging out, drinking coffee, playing sports, all of that is a part of that. But the core of this, actually, Paul says, when you serve together as the church, you are built up in love. That love is the missing piece. Now, here's the problem. We have this gravitational pull, every one of us. You know how you know, the earth is like you know, held in check around the sun by this gravitational pull, and it's at the perfect tension? Well, we have this gravitational pull as human beings that works against this whole idea of love. Because fundamentally, you and I are about ourselves. If we're honest, I am the star of my own show, and everybody else are supporting actors and maybe props, people I don't like, right? Like, let's be honest. Let's say it out loud. When we think, I always say this to you, right? But when, when someone says, look at this great picture of us at this wedding, and you grab it, what do you look at? You. You don't care how they look. You don't care about their hair, their red eye, anything. You're like, guys, I look amazing. This is an amazing picture. If you don't look good, you are not blowing that thing up. I mean, it's just a microcosm, and just a little window into the fact that fundamentally our orientation is about ourselves. We have this gravitational pull. Maybe that's another way to describe what sin is. It's this gravity towards me, this thing that this is about me. How could they talk to me like that? How, could, how, could they, how come I got passed over? Where, where's mine? How come I got a smaller piece than there? It starts from when we're little, right, and it just never leaves us. This gravitational pull. And this is going to work against the call to serve and agape love, to, for love for another, for another's sake. Not for my sake, for their sake. So here's the thing. And this is kind of new to me as I was reading through this and studying this and kind of praying through it and sort of going, wait a second. The church then, because sometimes you see, oh, this call to serve is like, oh, I'm supposed to do my part. Oh, man, like God wants me to do stuff. No, no, listen. The church is God's invitation to you 
to get out of that gravitational pull that you have towards yourself. It's a gift. When Paul says, hey, we're all invited to serve together, it's this beautiful gift to say, I am coming to rescue you from you because you are all about you. And I want to give you an opportunity to be all about somebody else. And that's what service is. You may say, Vijay, my life is full of serving others. Now, I just did a kind of an inventory of my own life. And I looked at my life and said, because I'm busy. We're all busy. We all got stuff to do. Okay, how many hours in my week is actually given to loving other people? Like dedicated time. I even might think, like, my kids play sports, and one of my kids was playing competitive baseball for a while. Now I can think, oh, you know what? I am loving my child by giving them the opportunity to play sports. Yes, true. But when I'm watching him from the field, and we laugh about this, and he's like, you know, something I, I think, oh, he could work on that. Now, if I'm talking to him about that after, I could be saying, hey, how was your interaction with your team? Are you guys getting along? How are you feeling? Or whatever, and saying, hey, honey, you know, if you moved a little closer to the plate, you could love better. Like, am I loving him in that moment? No, I don't care about that in that moment. I just want him to be better, right? As parents, they just be honest, right? Confession. Things we even say we're doing for love turn into us so easily, so quickly. Oh, I'm loving. I'm giving so much time. It's so much of it is actually about me. All the stuff that I do, you know, and trying to get stuff done for my house and whatever, ultimately, is it about other people? No. So the church is this great rescue gift that God gives me, saying, stop thinking about yourself and do something else. I don't think I'm the only one. We all know we're meant to love other people. We all know we're meant to stop being selfish. We all know we were created for more, but quite frankly, most of the rhythm of our lives just doesn't give us the chance to do it. And so we sit at home feeling guilty. I should do this, I shouldn't do that, or whatever, but I actually never do anything. And God has given me this gift to say, hey, come into this place, be a part of this community, and, and embrace an invitation to serve, and stop looking at your own navel. Right? Get out of yourself and to begin to live for something else. It doesn't matter what, sometimes I just need to stop thinking about my stuff. We start to see God's call in our life to serve. It's not anything he's demanding from us, or not anything that we as church leaders are demanding from you. Guys, you gotta do your part, otherwise this volunteer organization doesn't work. No, this is a gift of grace where God says, come into this place, be a part of a community and a life that is less about you and teaches you how to actually love others. And you experience both love for God and love for others. Isn't that amazing? That that's the gift that God has given us in the church. And I just want you to picture this, like even just, even just the last two and a half hours in this building on a Sunday morning. There's people who come, the worship team gets here, some of them 7.30, quarter to, quarter to eight. Some of them have already been preparing. The bands have been practicing earlier in the week. The worship leaders are praying, writing me back and forth. Hey, what are you preaching on this week? I've been praying. I'm thinking, why are they doing this? Because they love you. They love God. They want to give you words to sing. I come in here and I'm like, I need to sing. Because all week I've been doing, I need to sing. I need to sing at the top of my lungs. I need to let a song out. And so the worship team comes to love you. They're not getting a record deal out of this. Like this isn't American Idol where after this someone's going to get selected and they get to go on to the next week or something. It's for love. And this is what we're always talking about as a worship ministry, saying what is it we're doing this for? To, yes, express our love for God, but to to love you. They love you by serving. 
Our setup teams that come in at 8 o'clock and 8.30 and start putting this place together, putting all the mats on these nice floors so that our kids don't have to sit on these floors, but they can sit on the mats. And the teachers that are preparing materials and the guides that are coming, they're just going to sit alongside. Why? Because they love our kids. They love the next generation. They want them to catch a glimpse of the love of God through the time that they spend with them. It's for love, for nothing else. The people who prep food for you, do you need to eat after? I don't know about you, but I, don't eat, I eat all the time. Like, I'm professional, I think, at it. Like, do we need to eat? No, but it's a gift, right? Hospitality. Like, when you come and saying, we're not just here to come in and get out. Coffee, snacks, to be together, the 30-minute party team that puts this together. It's because they love you, and they want you to experience the love of God. Even if you're new here for the first time to go out, people actually like each other here. Imagine that. That this is a space that you would feel welcome. Our welcome teams who are actually at the front door, because we know if you've never been to church in a long time or you've never been to church, you're like, what happens in those places of drinking Kool-Aid and all that weird stuff? Like, what's going to happen in the church? And then I can walk through the door and someone normal looking is actually looking at me saying, hi, welcome. It's love. Saying, we actually are here for you. We actually planted this church for you. We planted this church for people who don't want to come to church. This is why we're here. And our prayer ministry and our elders and people who prepare to pray for you is why. So you can experience the love of God. You ever been prayed for? It's such a loving thing. When someone says, can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Can I just pray for you about that? It's a gift of love. This, all this service stuff, it's about love. If it isn't, scriptures actually say, Paul says, it's a gong show. Some of you are too old to know what the gong show is. It was like before, it was like, it was like the original American Idol, right? Like somebody would come out with some kind of show, da, 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 and someone would be watching, and they have this big stick with this massive gong symbol, and as soon as you were done, gong, and it was this loud, like, ooh, in other words, you're done. A gong is like the most annoying. We don't invite anyone to play gong in the worship team, okay? There's no role for that. If that's your specialty, I'm sorry. Uh, it's an annoying sound, and Paul says this, if you serve in the church without love, a gong show, right? Because that's the other gravitational pull, like to myself, myself, but some of us, because many of you serve. I, I, love, I mean, this church honestly brings me to tears when I think about the number of people that are here that are serving. And I know you do it for love, but the danger with all of us as we serve, and even me, whether I'm a professional or not, is the danger that it will become about me and not about others. So that the gravitational pull, even when we're serving, is that it can be about me. Like, how come I haven't been thanked recently? Or how come, or we get judgmental. How come they're not doing anything? I'm doing all the work. Or how come they never show up on time? Or how come this? Or how come I've been doing this for so long or whatever? And there's, there's times to rest, to stop and say, you know what? Maybe actually some of you, when I'm starting to get disconnected, the love and the service, they're starting to get disconnected. Okay, I need to take a break. Or I need to just tell somebody. Or I need to tell God I'm feeling this. Because it's possible for even in that for us to become about us. Because the gravitational pull, whether you're serving or not serving, is me, me, me. And the invitation that God gives us through the church is, hey, I want to give you a little bit of a taste of what my love is like to experience love for another for their sake. Isn't that cool? So my invitation to you really is, I was thinking about, you know, just to, that, that it's an invitation that God gives us in the church to feel the love. Feel the love. Right? It's just something to experience. You can't really explain it. How does, how does doing setup or how does doing some of this actually work to help me feel loved? But it does as we join together as a community and we work side by side. That side by side time actually helps us grow our relationships. We actually get to know each other more, experience love together, and feel the love of God in this place. And for some of you, I put there in again, maybe you've been serving in a role for a long time. Or you just start and you're like, I don't know if this is my fit, but I know it needs to be done. I just want to pray that you'll actually be able to reconnect that to love. 
like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this to love the people in this church. I'm doing this to experience a little bit of what it's like for the love of God to love another person. That there's a fulfillment in actually doing something for someone else for their sake. Um, some of you may know uh, Henry Nouwen, who's a Dutch uh, Catholic priest. Uh, he was a, a, an author and a psychologist. And uh, he had been teaching at Yale for 10 years and then moved to Harvard and uh, was the, I think, the head of divinity or one of the professors in the divinity school and very well-known and very smart um, and was asked to speak all over the world and worked there for a number of years. And then out of the blue, well, not out of the blue for him, he took an opportunity to start a community here at, actually in Toronto called L'Arche Daybreak. And it was actually a group home for people who were developmentally and mentally challenged people. He left Harvard kind of suddenly, for it seemed like, for people there and began to work with developmentally and mentally challenged people. And he said it was there that he began to feel alive again. He said he was doing all this stuff, teaching, and was very famous and all these degrees and very well educated and all over the world. He said, but it was when I came and actually worked with people who didn't care where I went to school. They didn't even know where Harvard was. They didn't know what a psychologist was. They didn't care how many degrees I had or where I had to speak. They didn't know anything about me. And none of those things actually were handy at the time when I needed to bath people who couldn't bath themselves, when I needed to clean up behind people who couldn't clean up for themselves. He said it was a discovery of a whole new person and experiencing the love of God. And he said this, our humanity comes to its fullest bloom in giving. We become beautiful people when we give whatever we can, a smile, a handshake, a kiss, an embrace, a word of love, a present, a part of our life, all of our life. This is the invitation, right, to become more human, to become more of the people that we were made to be. That ultimately, if God is extending this invitation to you, it's because he wants you to come closer to the person that he has made you to be. So here's what we're going to do to close uh, the service this morning. And in a little while, the worship team's going to come and lead us. There's a little survey that you were given on your way in. Um, and hopefully you were given like a little golf pencil or something like that to fill it out. And one side of it is just some questions about you. Have you been serving at the church? Are you not? If you're new, how long have you been here? All that kind of stuff. And if you are totally new here, we always encourage you to say, just, just come. Just be a part. Your, your act of service and love is just to come back next week and get to know people in this community. But some of you have been here for a little while and you're like, okay, I've been serving or not been serving. Just check those things. And on the back of that, there's a bunch of different areas and ways that you can express love for others and for God in the church. And some of you may say, oh yeah, I'm kind of interested in that or I'd like to know more about that. So I want you to invite you to just take a few minutes to do that, just to fill out the survey. And if you can, um, just when you're done, um, just kind of pass them to the aisles, to the ends there and to the ends there. And maybe if a couple of people can just kind of be our runners, just don't run too fast. Um, oh, and if you didn't get one, if you just put your hand up and you could get one right now. And just take a few moments to fill that out. And uh, if you want to, you can leave your name there. We'd encourage you to in whatever way. And you may say, I'm not really sure I want to serve in this area, but I want more about that, um, that this is something. And for some of you that are saying, yeah, I have been serving, but maybe it's not the right area for me. Take a chance to kind of fill that out. So take a few minutes, and then the worship team is going to lead us in response.